I'm just going to invite you to relax. Just close your eyes and just rest for a minute. Just let the Lord come with his spirit and just give you peace. And then I've put up a slide that has various seasons in the life of a grape. And I'd just like you to look at those pictures and which one perhaps best reflects for you the season that you're in now. And remember that God created the seasons, so there's no bad season, there's no wrong season. We all go through seasons. And just as the years go through seasons every year, we go through more than one season. We go through the seasons over and over again in our lives. So just take a minute. Which of those pictures perhaps best reflects the season that you feel you're in at the moment? Remember, there's no such thing as a bad season. God is at work in every single one of them. And perhaps you'd like to take a moment to share with the person next to you, if you're willing, um, what season you felt you were in, what picture drew you in, and perhaps why it drew you. Would you like to do that? I hope that got you thinking, and I'm wondering if I even need to bring a message now, or if that was just enough message for you to chat through. Um, But if you know me, you know my love of the grape, and all things that come from the love of the grape. And um, I am going to talk about the last of the I am statements that Jesus made, and that's I am the true vine. But um, before we launch into um, John 15, Mark is going to put some grapes around for you, so please enjoy, taste and see that the Lord is good. (laughs) And I'd like to put it into context. So if we look at John chapter 14, 13 and 14, in fact, um, Jesus is actually... As Joe's just mentioned, he's having his last meal with his disciples. He's in the upper room, and they're getting ready to serve the Passover meal. At the same time, there are about 200,000 lambs being slaughtered on Mount Moriah to celebrate the feast of the Passover. But this is the night before the Lamb of God is going to be sacrificed once and for all. So Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples and he already knows what he's going to. He already knows that Judas has gone out to betray him. So this is his last opportunity to sit with his closest friends and really make sure they understand 
who he is and what he came for. So this is the last intimate conversation that he has with his disciples, and I think it's worth paying attention to. So perhaps we'll look at the scripture now. It's John chapter 15 and verses 1 to 8. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown away into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. After Jesus has finished his meal with his disciples, he and the eleven set off. And chapter 18, verse 1 of John tells us that they're going through the Kidron Valley and into the Garden of Gethsemane. And for Jesus to get to that area, he has to pass the east part of the Temple Mount where the temple is. And you know how Jesus loves to take every opportunity to teach and how he uses everyday things wherever he is and he makes a message out of them. So as Jesus and his disciples are heading towards the Kidron Valley and to the garden, they pass the temple. And the temple in Jesus' day was a magnificent edifice. It was a huge building with inner and outer courts and it had pillars that were covered in gold vine leaves. Very, very beautiful. And the rich Jews would actually pay to bring a gold leaf and, and attach it to these pillars as a sign of their love and reverence for God. The vine was a really important symbol to the Jewish people because God spoke to them and called them his vineyard. And so every good Jew would know those scriptures where it said that you are my vineyard, that God called them 
his vineyard, that he was the one that planted them. The symbol of the vine was so important. Not only did they have it twirling around the pillars in their temple and carved over the door, but they even had it on their coins. So when Jesus stops and he looks up at this temple, I just want to bring some scriptures to mind that they would be very, very familiar with. In Psalm 18, verses 8 to 9, it says, You have brought a vine out of Egypt. You have cast out the nations and planted it. You prepared a room for it and caused it to take deep root. This is God in his vineyard. Then it goes on in verse 16. The branch is burned with fire. It is cut down. The people of Israel had rejected the Lord. The branch is burned with fire. It is cut down. Isaiah chapter 5 and verses 1 to 7 is a beautiful passage they would have been so familiar with. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it, cleaned it of stones, and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it, and he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded only wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there for me to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed, for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. I wonder if that couldn't be said of our nation and other nations of the world too. So Jesus is walking with his disciples and he pauses at the door of the temple and he looks up at the vines carved above the door and he says in verse 1, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Nothing could have been clearer or more powerful than that. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. So powerful for his disciples. He is now the true vine. 
in Joe's teaching last week, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. They've heard him say that. He's reiterating, I am the true vine. It's a powerful, powerful statement. Verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. So it's the Father who is the vine dresser, and he either prunes us or we're taken away. I'd much rather be pruned they taken away. Pruning means cutting. You either prune because there's not enough growth, or you might prune because there's excess growth. And that excess growth is not really good growth, and it needs to be cut off so that the sap can flow into the good grapes. And we'll be pruned, sometimes because we're not growing, sometimes because we have excessive growth, but it's unhealthy growth, and it needs to be cut off. Pruning is necessary, but it's not always easy. It's painful. And when we're being pruned, we might wonder where God is in our situations, We might think he's left us or turned away from us or doesn't care about us or doesn't know what we're going through. But in actual fact, he's with us and he's pruning us because he loves us too much to let us carry on living without growth or let us to carry on growing in the wrong direction. He's with us. He cares for us. He's there with us. It's really important that you know that because sometimes we spend so much time whinging and whining about what we're going through when we're going through hard times instead of maybe stopping and thinking, am I being pruned? Is this something the Lord is doing in me? What is it in me that the Lord is wanting to shape and allow him to do his work so that you can bear good fruit. When we lived in South Africa, we moved into our dream house. It was just my dream. And in the garden, there were roses. And I don't know the difference between a weed and a rose. I really don't. Or a plant, but roses I knew. And they were beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. I loved them. Didn't know what to do with them. Absolutely loved them. And Mark's mom was a brilliant gardener. And they came up to visit one day and she said, Jill, your roses need pruning. Didn't know what that was, but I know mom's a brilliant gardener. So she said, next time you know, we come up, I'll bring my pruning shears. Okay? So mom came up and she said, I'm going to prune your roses. Oh, goody gumdrops. She cut my beautiful roses off that still had flowers on them down to stumps. I mean, stumps. There was nothing left of them. It's a wonder 
we still stayed a family together. I was absolutely devastated, devastated. And I managed to hold it together. And after they'd gone, I said to Mark, that's the last time your mother's coming to my house. You know, just look what she's done to my roses. They're just stumps. But did those roses grow into the most beautiful roses? And I had to change my tune. And when mom said, the roses need pruning, yes, please, thank you very much. Would you mind? But you have to trust because this was pruned to nothing. And I think sometimes God will even do that to us. He'll cut us right back to nothing because he is our everything. So don't be afraid of the pruning. It's going to bring something beautiful into your lives. It's confusing sometimes because some things in the past seems to be quite fruitful and then suddenly it seems to be cut away. And you think, well, what was that all about? Everything was going really well. And I think we faced this a number of years ago. Those of you that were in the church at that time who seemed to be thriving, we had a big group of people, we seemed to be doing well. And thank goodness for Rachel Namira, Florence's daughter, because Rachel said to me, God's going to be doing a pruning. And Rachel moved pretty powerfully in the prophetic. I didn't like this one. And I thought, I'm sure she's wrong. Hasn't told me that. I'm sure Rachel's wrong. Rachel was right. We were pruned, and it was painful. It's still painful. But some of that growth had to be cut off so that we could bear good fruit, so that we could do the things that God is calling us to do now. If I'd had my way, I wouldn't have had that pruning. But God had his way, and he did it so we can bear much fruit. It's hard. So we sometimes look at our lives and we think, but everything was going so well. Everything was so good. Everything was fine. What happened? God's got a plan. And when he prunes you, it is so you can bear more fruit. Please, please remember that. Verses 4 and 5. Abide in me, and I in you. Sorry, darling. Did I jump forward? Oh, you see, that's I'm so excited. Sorry. Verse 3. Thank you, Mark. Already you're clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Jesus is the word. That's what it tells us in John 1. Jesus is the word. And he's been speaking his word to his disciples the whole time. He's been living with them and ministering with them and working with them and teaching them. He says, you are already clean. We know that the night after this night, Jesus was crucified. His blood was shed for us so that we could be made clean, so that our sins could be washed away. We are clean because Jesus died. His blood has made us clean. It's so important to remember that. Do you know that the grapes, the vines that were growing in the Kidron Valley, they didn't look like the vines that we see today 
on trellises and wires and all strung up. They were planted, each plant separately, and the vines grew. And as they got heavy with grapes, they landed on the ground and they got really dirty and dusty. And the vine dresser would have to come along with a bucket of water and lift the grapes up and clean them. He washed them clean. We are washed by the precious blood of Jesus. And then sometimes the vine dresser would take a rock and he'd put it underneath and balance the vines on the rock so that they didn't go down onto the ground. Jesus is our rock. Now I can get to four and five. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So the word I want to focus on this morning is this word, abide. And what does abide mean? You know, when you come home from a hard day's work and you're just really tired and you just want to sink into your favorite chair and have your cuppa next to you and kick your shoes off and just chill. That's abiding. It's being in that comfortable place that you're at home with, that you're familiar with, that you feel safe and that you love being there. And you don't have to do, you just have to be. That's abiding. It's just hanging out with Jesus. Just as the grapes hang on the vine, they don't have to do anything. They just hang. So abiding is just hanging with Jesus. There's this little hidden part of this bit that says, without me you can do nothing. It's quite a bold statement for Jesus to make. But without him, nothing we do will have eternal value. We can do lots. We can run around like chickens with our heads cut off. We can be busy, busy, busy. But if we are not abiding, if we are not doing it from that place of being with Jesus, of hanging with him, of knowing him, then what we do will not have eternal value. And we actually won't be bearing good fruit. So be careful the next time you're running around and you're frantic. Have you abided? Have you spent time in the Lord's presence? He'll be involved in your life when you stop long enough to listen to him. He never leaves you, but boy, do we leave him and get on with life without him. Stop. Abide. Let him speak to you. That's all he wants, is to be involved in our lives. 
just stay connected. Keep following him. It's a relationship. Verse 6 says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. You don't need a theological dictionary on exegesis. It's pretty obvious, isn't it? You're not abiding in the vine. You are not letting that life-giving flow come from the Holy Spirit into your life. Take it away, chuck it out, burn it up. It's a powerful picture, and it's simple. And to be honest, I'd rather be pruned than burned. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Our abiding isn't just sitting back and flicking channels on the television. Our abiding is in Jesus. We're hanging with him. We're abiding in his presence and he is the word. So we need to know his word. We need to abide. We need to meditate on that word. We need to ponder on that word. The world has stolen so much of what was biblically true. So meditation now sounds like transcendental meditation. No. Meditation is abiding in God's word. Setting ourselves down, feasting on his word taking his word slowly, chewing on it. I know so many of us are under so much pressure that we've got to get through the Bible in a year and we wake up and we're a bit late so we read really quickly because we've got to get through this chapter and this passage and I can't really do the psalm, I'll do it on the bus um, because I've got to get through my Bible reading in a year. And it's good, it's good that we read the Bible, it's good that we read the Bible in a year, it's good that we know the Bible, but there's another way to read the Bible as well. It's not one or the other, it's both. And there are times when we need to stop and just take a few lines and abide and let the Lord speak to us through his word. He says, my words abide in you. You know, often when we come up to pray for someone, we haven't a clue what we're going to say, but God's word abides in us and as we come up, we wait on the Holy Spirit as we lay hands on that person. The words come because the word abides in us. Let's make sure that the word abides in us, that we know his word. It's the sword of the spirit. It's important. If we have God's word in us, it abides in us then his desires become my desires because I have the mind of Christ, because I'm transformed by the renewing of my mind. The word tells us that. And so I've got his words in my mind, in my heart, and that's what I'll be asking him for. And so often our prayers are misdirected and we wonder why they're not being answered because we're not asking from that place of abiding 
in him. We're not praying his word back to him. His prayer says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not my kingdom come and my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy will, thy kingdom. It's about God. It's about him. He's the center of who we are. And that's what we must be abiding in. Otherwise, we simply get the unholy trinity of me, myself, and I. And that's what the Pharisees were like. They didn't have a relationship with Jesus. They had a religion of thou shalt and thou shalt not. And then they added nine million other things to them. They weren't abiding. They weren't living in the presence of God. They weren't doing his will. They were doing what they wanted. If God's word abides in us, it's more powerful than anything, anything, and that will bear good fruit. Verse 8, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. How do people know that we are God's and Jesus and the Holy Spirit's loving children, disciples, followers? It's got to shine out of us. It's got to be. We, we are the light carriers. We are the glory carriers. Wherever we go, the light should be shining. We can't walk around bashing people over the head with the Bible and telling them how bad they are and they're going to hell. We're not the judge. We're the light carriers. We've got to be bringing light and love and we've got to show people by the way we behave and the way we speak that this is who we are. How often have you been in a situation at work or somewhere and suddenly you find people talking to you and telling you all their problems and, and confessing something to you. And you sit there and go, where did this come from? I, I didn't ask for this. I, I wasn't expecting this. It's because of the light of Christ is shining out of you. They know you are loved. They know you're not their judge. They know they can trust you. And they're just trying to find someone who they can share their burdens with. They're not even necessarily expecting you to solve their problems or give them an answer. They just want you to listen. And it's because they see the Christ light in you and they're drawn to you. And I know that's happened to each and every one of you because you are the glory carriers and you bear much fruit. Are you bearing good fruit? Or are we bearing bad fruit? Hosea in chapter 10 and verse 1 says, Israel emptied his vine. He brings forth fruit for himself. Is that us? In contrast, Hebrews 13 and verse 15 encourages us to continue to offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips. If we're bearing good fruit, we're going to be praising God with our lips. That's why we worship in church. That's why we start our services with worship. 
and why we finish our services with worship. But how many people come to church, oh, I don't like the worship. I want them to sing like this. The unholy trinity again, me, myself, and I. Oh, I don't like the way the church do this, so I'll leave the church. Me, myself, and I. Oh, people get up in this church and go and get a drink in the middle of the... Ooh, I'm leaving the church. We're family. This is our home. We gather around our tables together. If you need a cup, go and get one. Because we're family. But we offend people. We are bearing good fruit. Let's keep bearing good fruit. Do you know, sometimes you probably feel that you're not bearing fruit. But the example that I've just given about people coming up and talking to you and sharing things with you or asking something, you're bearing good fruit. Just that extra helping hand, the phone call you made to someone, you stretched out to your neighbor, you're bearing fruit. And if you're feeling, I really just feel like that shriveled up grape in that first picture that I showed you, then come to church. Because here we're bearing fruit. And if you feel dried up and you've got nothing to give, get prayer. This is your family. They'll pray for you. They'll gather around you. Those that have got the good fruit will share it. And then you'll grow and your fruit will grow and you'll have something to share. Don't ever keep away because you're not feeling good or you don't feel right or you don't think you're good enough, that's the time you come and say, here I am. And that's the time we as the family gather around you, just what we were sharing from the Grow Baby conference. That's why we do Grow Baby, to share God's light, to bear fruit. And it's a blessed, wonderful, wonderful ministry. I wish each and every one of you had time to come and join us and share in the fruit that comes from loving these people. And let's be that good fruit. And if you're feeling a bit unfruitful, come and get it from here. This is where you taste and see. And that's what you've been doing, that the Lord is good. The strap line that Mark was given when we were asked to take over the church was encountering God encountering people. Encountering God means abiding in God. We do God spots with our children, encountering God, where they just lie on the floor. We might play some music for them, but we ask them, what's God saying to you? They may want to share it, they may want to draw it, but they listen, and you'd be amazed at what these little ones hear from God, encountering God. That's what we're called to do and encountering people. When we encounter people without encountering God, we don't do it very well, do we? The vineyard has put out the most beautiful,
beautiful booklets. This is how the vineyard is wanting us as vineyard churches to encounter God. And we've got one for each of you. So if some of you would like to come and hand some of them out, thank you so much. Thank you. Mark's pointing his finger at his watch, but sorry about that. I want to do this because I think this is important. I'm just going to go through it a little bit with you, and then we're just going to take a minute or two to abide, if that's all right. So this little booklet is called How to Spend Time with Jesus, and it is so, so very important And there's a little description and introduction of how to use the booklet. And basically, it's telling you it's an invitation to sit in the presence of God, to encounter him. So there's an introduction explaining to you how to go about this. And then if you turn to this page, John Wimber who's the founder of our vineyard movement, has this quote, we don't seek God's power, we seek his presence. And I know the vineyard is often power evangelism. And yes, we don't evangelize without the power of God. But we don't seek God's power, we seek his presence. His power and everything else we need is always found in his presence. And then if you turn over the preparation, there are some practical pieces of advice just to have things ready, to find a nice place, to be comfortable, maybe have a notebook to collect your thoughts. And then the third point, it's becoming aware of his presence. And it's waiting in silence And then you can see there's a little breathing exercise. Remember last week I told you how to breathe the name of God. Yahweh. Yahweh. Everything that has breath praises the Lord. The Bible tells us that. Or you might like a little prayer that as you breathe in, I receive your affection for me. And as you breathe out, receive my adoration, or there's what they call the Jesus prayer. And then it's just waiting on him, waiting on him. And could I ask you, would you be able to put the scripture, I'm not going to go into um, the Galatians, fruit of the spirit, you should know that. Could you just put the John 15, 1 to 8 scripture up? And I'd just like you to just take a minute Just do a breath prayer. Just calm yourself. Just wait until you're silent. And then would you just have a little look at the scripture. Think about what I've said. Think about the word. And maybe just let God speak to you, to you through that. Could you do that? So just a little while in silence. Silence. 